0: last time on Licensed to Parent. Hey, you just grabbed that toy from your brother and you pushed him. What does that say about how you view your brother? What's going on inside of you is that you value yourself and what you want more than you value your brother. Well, what is
1: that? That's selfishness and it's also pride. But the problem is the Bible calls that a sin. That's the voice of Israel Wayne, our guest last week and again this week on License to Parent, when we looked at the challenge of finding someone to help fix your child. We discovered that fixing a child usually also means fixing the parents, fixing the environment, and fixing the relationships, which leads to the question, would we be better off asking if we're willing to invest the time, the effort, and the intentionality it takes to keep our child and our family, for that matter, from becoming damaged goods in the first place. This is Licensed to Parent. Well, hello and welcome once again to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Shepherds Hill is a year-long, Christ-centered residential program for hurting teens and, by extension, for their families. And we've been working on the front lines with families for 20 years now, under the direction of the founder and director of Shepherds Hill and the host of this program, Trace Embry. And uh, Trace, good to be back with you again and good to have our guest with us again. Let me reintroduce Israel. Israel Wayne is an author and a conference speaker. He's got a passion for defending the Christian faith and promoting a biblical worldview, as we do. He's the author of a number of books on homeschooling and parenting, including the one that we began talking with him about last week. It's called Raising Them Up. Parenting for Christians. Uh, Incidentally, he's also the site editor for ChristianWorldview.net, and he's director of Family Renewal at FamilyRenewal.org.
2: Well, Christian Worldview is what it's all about. Uh, Israel, thank you so much for coming back and and doing a second broadcast here. There's so much to go over. But last time you were talking uh, toward the end of the program about uh, gospel-centered parenting. Can you uh, give us a quick recap about that, and then we'll take it from there. Sure.
0: Well, I think a lot of times as parents, we are focused on the behavior of our children and we want them to stop lying. We want them to stop being manipulators or to have having bad attitudes or back talking or whatever. And sometimes when we look at correcting our children or disciplining them, we are trying to end bad behavior. And I get that from a practical standpoint, that makes sense. But oftentimes as parents, the concern that we have about the bad behavior isn't always necessarily that we're concerned, that concerned about the child's heart and about their soul and their well-being. Many times we don't like the negative behavior because it impacts us negatively or, you know, even worse in some cases, it, it just makes us look bad and it embarrasses us. And so many times as parents, we're concerned about the external appearance that our child may be giving to other people in our church or community or whatever as opposed to really being concerned about what's going on in the inside of them. So in my book, um, Raising Them Up, I talk about how we need to focus on not just the behavior, but the heart behind the behavior, and then to look at those teaching and training opportunities, not merely to tell our children, stop doing bad things and start doing good things, but to try to point them to their ultimate need, which is really Christ, Uh, and to make sure that we're constantly pointing them uh, to the gospel, because it really is an inner change of the heart that our youth need. It's the the change of the heart that our children need. And and when the Holy Spirit begins to work on the inside of that child, it's a completely different dynamic than us just trying to to deal with externals. Boy, is that right. Shifting gears just a
2: little bit uh, from the child to the parent, um, this might sound like a strange question, but, you know, we're we're talking about Gospel-centered parenting, is there anything congruent with gospel-centered parenting, um, having mom work outside the outside the home? Now, uh, particularly in those younger years, and i'm not I'm not downing parents who work outside the home. i I, I get it, and I get that that's actually uh, in a way supported even f- uh, from the proverbs thirty one woman. But it, would you consider that generally speaking, that ideally, Uh, moms working inside the home as a full-time individual who's engineering the the future of America, uh, would that be congruent with what you're calling gospel-centered parenting?
0: Well, in my book, I have a whole section where I talk about influence. And as parents, we want to have influence in the life of our child. But the most important factor or ingredient in purchasing influence is time. So you really need to have quantity time that you spend with your child if you hope to be the most influential person in your child's life. And by definition for most parents, the most influential person in their child's life can never really be them because they spend so little time with their children. In fact, the the latest uh, National Labor Statistics says that the average mom spends an hour a day uh, with her children and the average dad is now spending 29 minutes a day interacting with his children and so you know you look at the fact that kids are spending seven and a half hours a day away from the parents in school seven and a half hours a day in multimedia after school you know that's 15 hours a day mom's getting an hour dad's getting 29 minutes just by definition, the average mom and dad can never be the most influential person in their child's life because they don't own that time component. And that really comes back uh, to be a problem when the young people become teenagers and the parents want to have influence, but the young people no longer care about their parents. They don't care what they think. They don't care about their values. They care more about the opinions of their friends and the other influences in their life. And so in terms of that, that time component, that's the question we always have to ask as parents, how can I
1: buy back that time so that I
0: can purchase influence in my child's life?
1: I want to ask a question about that related to what Trace mentioned a moment ago, and that was the stay-at-home mom versus both parents working outside the home. In our case, my wife did stay home when our children were younger, and we've got five kids. But, um, you know, for me, as the single breadwinner with, in our case, a family of seven, That puts a lot of pressure on the dad, and I confess that I became something of a workaholic in there, and that, of course, is not right. But um, the dad, I think, takes even more of a step back in the overall relationship. Is that healthy, or how do you find that balance?
0: Yeah, I think as dads, we have to find ways that we can incorporate our families. Obviously, being a breadwinner and providing for our family is important. It's a biblical directive for us as men. But providing for our families is more than just financial support. We also have emotional support. We have spiritual support. And we have to provide for our families in that way, just as much as we do financially. I think when the scripture says, if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. Well, I believe it's speaking about the whole provision of everything that our families need. And so, you know, this the single income aspect is one that I know a lot of us struggle with. Um, you know, it's something that we're constantly trying to figure out how to we make it in this economy and so forth. But, you know, I've never heard parents uh, who are now older, who are grandparents or looking back on their life, saying, man, I just wish I would have worked more and spent less time with my kids. I, I've never <laughs> right, met anybody right. that says that. Yeah, I've heard hundreds of people say the opposite. Yeah. And I think that's instructive for us. It's not easy. We we all have to figure it out but I, again the goal is both mom and dad have to be actively involved in the lives of our children But ironically, fathers are commanded to teach and instruct more than twice as often as mothers, which I found interesting, which I think shows the responsibility that God puts on fathers for really overseeing the discipleship of their children. You know, because God made our wives to be our helpers. We see that in Genesis, uh, that they are helpmates, I think the King James Version puts it. And so, they come alongside and help implement, uh, you know, the direction of the family. And they're better facilitators than men. Men are, there's no doubt about that. Uh, But in terms of the overall responsibility, I think God holds men twice as responsible as he holds the wives for the training and discipleship of the children. But one more thing that I noticed, and I talk about this in uh, Raising Them Up, is that if you do a study through the Bible on discipline, every passage in the Bible that speaks to the issue of discipline either speaks of it generically as a general concept, or in most cases, it directs the discipline of children to fathers And I found this to be surprising, and I've never heard anyone else teach on this, but I I couldn't find one verse in the entire Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, where God ever commanded a mother to discipline a child. And that was a revolutionary concept to me because there's dozens of passages where fathers are specifically instructed or commanded to discipline children, and not one of mothers. And so, what I want I want to be clear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying the Bible forbids women from disciplining children. I'm not saying that women can't or shouldn't discipline children. That's not my point. But my point is, in terms of the emphasis that God gives of responsibility for discipline, it seems to be 100% directed toward dads. What I notice even in the evangelical church culture is that dad feels his responsibility is just to go to work, earn a paycheck. That's his sole responsibility. Almost no input on teaching and equipping and discipling the children. And then if discipline's being done at all, which is usually not. I mean, frankly, in most yeah, evangelical cultures, true. there's just no discipline whatsoever. But if it's happening at all, it's on the shoulders of mom. Mm-hmm. And I, when I look at the scripture, I see that responsibility being primarily exclusively scripturally on the shoulders of dad. And so I think if dads are going to look at what's my role here, uh, I think dads, and I talk about how to do this practically, even when you work outside the home, but how dads can get back in the driver's seat on this discipline issue and how they can be actively overseeing the discipleship of their children. Maybe not the ones they are doing it all day, every day because they work, but that they're primarily responsible for the overview of the their children. And I think those are two things dads need to take very seriously.
1: When we come back from our break, I want to ask both of you a question about the line between discipline and discipling, because to me, the best model we ever had was Jesus Christ himself, who, you know, trained up some people. He wasn't punishing these 12 men who walked beside him. He was teaching them and in that fine tuning them. Uh, So we'll talk about that when we come right back. Uh, Our guest today on License to Parent is Israel Wayne. He's the director of FamilyRenewal.org and also author of the book we're talking about, Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. And you can learn more about his ministry and find his books at FamilyRenewal.org. We'll be right back with
3: more conversation with Israel Wayne right after this. Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis is celebrating 20 years of ministry. There have been many distractions in our work through the years as a result of a four-lane highway that divided our land. As a result, plans are underway to develop a whole new campus designed to improve our students' therapeutic experience away from the highway noise, along with up-to-date infrastructure and staff offices, all to help smooth out the day-to-day operations. The 5-year two-phase plan will begin with a new dining hall to be completed by the end of the year, followed by two new school buildings, also containing a new studio for licensed to parent. Please consider partnering with us, Building Together, a new and improved Shepherds Hill Academy. Learn more and make your gift today, shepherdshillacademy.org slash building together. That's shepherdshillacademy.org slash building together. And thanks for helping us provide healing to teens in crisis. Your children are teens now. They're growing up and
1: gaining independence. That's kind of the point of parenting, isn't it? You're raising future, responsible adults, but they're not responsible adults yet. They may be able to do things on their own, but you still want to be able to contact them and you want to equip them for success. So you decide to get them a smartphone. But why a smartphone? For most people, that means 24-7 access to everything on the planet. And that's not wise, nor is it healthy. Digital addiction is prevalent these days. In fact, we see teens of all ages dealing with mental health and behavioral issues rooted in overuse of technology. Issues that affect health, wellness, ability to focus, performance in academics, and more. That's why at License to Parent, we want you to choose a wise phone alternative instead of a smartphone. More information is available at LicenseToParent.org slash wise phone. You're listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program working with teens in crisis and, by extension, with their families. Our host is Trace Embry, and our guest on today's program is Israel Wayne, author of the book Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. And, Trace, right before the break, we were talking about uh, discipline in the home and the role that the father has in disciplining and teaching To me, the best example of discipline and its counterpart discipling is Jesus Christ. And I know that you're trying to bring Christ to the kids at Shepherd's Hill every day. What does it look like there when teens come in? How do you guys begin with a teenager who perhaps has never had much of anything in the way of discipline or discipling? How do, you, how do you start that process, and what are some of the foundational things you begin teaching them?
2: Uh, that and the fact that we have the, the advantage of an authoritative community around here, which, which is scientifically backed by you know Harvard, Yale, all these big schools, whatever you think of those places. Uh, we, we have the advantage of everywhere Junior turns here, he's pointed back to a common moral center by a community you know make disciples show them how you respond to situations uh, what wisdom actually looks like that there's a spiritual component to to everything of life that we're not fundamentally human beings who occasionally have spiritual experiences but we're fundamentally spiritual beings uh, having a human experience <laughs> and uh so you know it takes a village Hillary was right with the with the concept totally wrong with how it, it was defined shepherd till is all that and so kids we have the advantage where, you know, again, if it's the cook or the janitor or if it's, uh, you know, the maintenance guy uh, and certainly the therapists and counselors and, and, and teachers, um, they're they're all on the same page. And that's a, a tremendous yeah. advantage. And in, in parents, if they're not spending that time with their kids and they are allowing Junior to be seven, eight hours in front of a screen you know, on, a, on a keyboard, then, you know, as Israel said, those people are going to have the
1: that sway and influence yeah. over junior that you just lost, right? Israel for for the parents who are wanting to, perhaps instill the discipline that was never in the family. You know, as you mentioned before, dads may be the the only ones who are at least listed in Scripture as doing the disciplining. But but what about this discipling too? How do parents bring that into the home for their teenagers? And and how do you differentiate between? discipline and discipling.
0: Right. Well, I think what Trey said is really important, because this whole aspect of having a united front needs to happen in a marriage, right? Because young people realize when they can play mom and dad against each other, and that never works well. But in terms of discipleship, Jesus said, when a student is fully trained, he'll become like his teacher. So, discipleship really is not merely teaching, but it's modeling, and it's our young people watching how we live, and often that has more influence on them than merely what we say. But what, what I would say, say is uh, there are times where we have to correct in the moment because our child is doing something wrong, which is sort of a reactive approach to parenting. But we also have to make sure that we're that's discipline. But but we also have to make sure we're proactively discipling our children. And my wife uses the phrase teaching with a cookie in your hand. And what she means by that is like
1: your wife. (laughs) (laughs)
0: that that there are moments where uh things are good between us and the child there's no conflict uh we're sitting outside on a swing on a beautiful sunny day looking at the wonders of creation you know eating a cookie and in those moments you go to a point that you would like to make uh in that in that discipline and correction moment and you say it then Mm. in in the good moment with the cookie in hand and the child can receive it so much better than when they're defensive you know because when we're in a Discipline and, and reactive mode, uh, they've got their walls up. And so when the walls are down, we have to make sure that we're having those teachable moments in the good moments where they're open and receptive. So you have to do both. But if all we do is reactive parenting, it's going to be a failure. We have to make sure that we're proactively teaching Amen. in the good moments. And I think that's more what discipleship looks like as opposed to mere discipline.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, uh Spanking seems to be another controversial topic these days, even though it's still legal in all 50 states uh, and in in most school systems that that I'm aware of. Uh, How is it that more and more self-proclaimed Christians, uh, parenting experts, uh, are using the Bible to kind of stray away from uh, using spanking as a viable option uh, in a parent's disciplinary playbook?
0: What most parents do is they will Google search spanking and they'll look up research that's been done. And when you do that, what tends to happen is a whole bunch of studies come up that say if you spank your children, they will grow up and be angry, violent and resentful. And there are a lot of these studies that are put out there. Let me tell you something about those studies. There are two factors that they don't uh, take into consideration that are important. The first one is none of those studies ever separate out uh, loving biblical correction of a child and discipline that is given in anger. And that's extremely important. You know, We have a different uh, book we've written uh, called Pitching a Fit, Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting, and it deals with how devastating anger actually is in the equation. So those studies don't separate out anger. That's the first problem with those studies. The second problem is that they define corporal punishment as any kind of hitting the child with any type of object. So literally a parent who's hitting their child in the head with a two by four gets thrown into this study or whipped with an electric cord. Well, that's child abuse, right? And so those things get put into the same study as physical spanking of a child in an, a loving and appropriate way. Well, if you throw all of that into the mix, you've already messed up the metrics. And so you're not going to get a accurate Uh, scientific answer when you're including anger mixed with physical abuse of a child you're obviously going to get students who have that or young people who get that kind of an outcome of anger and bitterness and violence there's one study that's been done the gen 2 survey that separated out that equation and said what if you were disciplined by a father that you knew loved you and they didn't do it in an abusive way and they didn't do it in a way that was that was angry and that was harmful, but it was appropriate, loving, physical discipline from a father you knew loved them. And they found that students who are young people who were disciplined that way by their fathers, children, were more likely to respect their fathers and have a close relationship with them as adults. And they were more likely to follow Christ in their adult years than those who had either not been disciplined at all, or those who had been disciplined in anger. It's called the Gen 2 survey. You can Google search. It's the largest study on churched millennials that's ever been done. And so it's the only study that I know of that separa- separates out those two very important factors of removing anger from the equation and removing these, these clearly uh, physically abusive equations from the study. And so, so those studies, so what people do is they read these studies and then they say, okay, so these scientific, quote unquote, scientific studies are telling us this. Well, what we have to do is go back and reinterpret the scripture to make it conform to the science. Mm. And so that's where they're going with that. You know, there's uh I've never known
2: anyone. I don't think I I can honestly think of one person over 30 who ever said that they were damaged emotionally, psychologically, spiritually by a spanking. They always said they deserved it. They needed it. I needed it. They probably needed more. Have you run across anyone that received godly corporal discipline with their parents who who resented it?
0: You know, it's interesting, again, with the Gen 2 survey, they showed that young people who received no physical discipline at all were less likely to have a relationship with Christ. And young people who were physically disciplined by fathers in anger, uh, violence, and, and force were less likely to have a relationship with their dad. So, no discipline, less likely to have a relationship with God. Physical discipline, but done in the wrong way, less likely to have a relationship with their father. But when done with love and in an appropriate way that's not physically abusive to the child, physical discipline actually results in young adults who respect their fathers more and are more likely to have a close relationship with Christ, which is sort of what the scripture would indicate. And so when the metrics aren't tweaked to produce a false narrative, uh, the science actually does match up with the teaching of scripture, that physical uh, discipline is appropriate for children when done in the correct way.
2: Well, we've talked about discipline, even corporal discipline. Um, So let's, let's soften it up a little bit. Uh, as we get ready to close here, can you talk about the, the, how important words of affirmation are um, and, 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 the, and physical touch? And I'm talking dads, you know, uh, as well. I'm, my dad did a lot of things wrong. But one thing he did, man, he always told me he loved me and, and he, would, he would grab me and hug me. And that went a long, long way.
0: Yeah, I think the two most important factors in influence with our children are number one time. I already mentioned that. But number two, affirmation. I talk about this in the book. Our children need to know that we are for them. We're not just out for ourselves, but we are for Mm -hmm. them. And I think about what God the Father said to Jesus uh, at his baptism where this voice spoke from heaven. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. And those are the two things that our children need to hear from us and know is true from us. Number one, that we love them. But number two, that we're well-pleased with them, that we like them and that they are important, that they're a treasure to us. So we need to speak those words of affirmation, but we also need to demonstrate it through our actions as well.
2: What happens when you you truly believe you're doing it all right? People are telling you you're doing it all right as a parent. And you just got this Category 5 rebel How does a parent stay genuine and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm I'm really proud of you. You know, tell me, I, I
0: haven't figured that one out yet. I think what we have to do is we have to speak what the scripture says is true of our children and not speak what we feel. But then additionally, I think we need to affirm our children for who they are and not merely for what they do, because sometimes what they're doing, we can't affirm. And so we tell them, I love you. I'm so grateful that you're my child. I'm glad that God has placed you in our family. We care about you. You are important to us. Um, And that's why we're investing so much of this effort in trying to train you in the right direction. I think that's really what we have to do as parents.
1: Yeah, I think that's right on. Well, that's a good place to land our conversation today. Uh, our guest on Licensed to Parent has been Israel Wayne, the director of Family Renewal and author of the book we've been talking about called Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. You can learn more about both his ministry and that and his other books by going to familyrenewal.org. And Israel, you've carved out two weeks of time for us. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much for being on Licensed to Parent. Yeah, thank you, guys. Well, I mentioned Israel's book as being a great resource, and it certainly is, but let me take a moment now before we wrap up to talk about a resource that a lot of parents turn to when they're at the end of their rope. And if this is you or someone you know, please pay attention. Parenting isn't for wimps, you know that, it's not easy. But if you're at the point where you don't know where to turn and your teen is fighting back every step of the way, we want you to know that help is available. Now, licensed to Parent is just one part of the bigger ministry called Shepherd's Hill Academy. We really do have kids who come to stay here for an entire year, living here, going to school here, working with licensed counselors here, and getting their lives turned around. Now, we work not only with the kids, but also with the entire families. If you don't know where to turn and you're wondering if a residential program might be what you need or what your teen needs, Please reach out to us. You'll find a link to Shepherd's Hill on our website, LicensedToParent.org, and from there you'll see how to contact our office to find out more about the program. Help is available, but you do have to take that first step. Now if you're not a parent of a troubled teen, let me ask a favor. Would you be willing to help change the life of one? Kids who come here with one foot in jail and the other in the grave leave here changing the world for Christ. Your gift to our ministry in any amount can change one life at Shepherds Hill. And when you do that, you change many lives down the line. So I'm inviting you to join us and become a ministry partner of Licensed to Parent and Shepherds Hill Academy. It really is life-changing. You can donate quickly and easily by going to our website, LicensedtoParent.org, and clicking the Donate button at the top of the page. And thanks. Our guest coordinator on licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you back again next time for another chance to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you
2: next time.